Good morning. So I wanted to just read these two passages thinking of the, the worthiness of the Lord. Uh, in Revelation, just made me think of it from the song, um, Revelation 4.11. Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. He's worthy because, simply because of what he's done in creation. Whether he saved anybody or not, he's worthy. But then we go on to see it's not the end of the story. In Revelation 5, 12, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So how much more since he gave the Lamb? So this morning, um, I guess for the visitors, I'm Kyle Messenger, and the elders were not available this morning, and so I'm given the opportunity to bring the word to you guys. And um, it's a little different than at Miracle Hill, um, you know, 30 minutes or so, and get used to that prep time and that audience, and it's a little different, but an hour. And so you uh, grow to appreciate the... Uh, week after week labors that the elders um, provide and the different teachers in Sunday school. And so, yeah, thankful for that. And so this morning, um, I am going to be focusing on Mark 15, verses 1 to 15. And I'm going to be pulling in some different passages from the other gospel accounts of this event. And before I get to our actual text, though, I want to give a little bit of the context before Mark chapter 15. So here we see beforehand as Jesus is betrayed by Judas with words and acts that show respect and friendship. Remember how Judas kissed Jesus, a sign of friendship, and then he called him rabbi. This sense of honor as he's betraying him. Then Jesus is arrested by the chief priests, the scribes, and elders with swords and clubs. Later, Jesus is accused then before the chief priests and the council. Jesus answered a question by the high priest showing that he is the Christ, he is the Son of Man, who we know is reference to God himself out of Daniel. And in response, the high priest tears his clothes and accuses Jesus of blasphemy. Peter then denies Jesus three times after this, after being approached by people trying to figure out his relationship to Jesus. The first time, Peter states that he does not understand what the people are talking about. He's trying to play the ignorance um, card, I guess. And the second time, it says that Peter plainly denied being one of Jesus' followers. And then the third time, Peter began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. So, on to our text in Mark 15, 1 to 15. But I'll pray first. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. And we thank you that we can come to you for help. And 
Lord, I ask that you would please um, help me. I believe I'm speaking truth from your word, but I don't want to just speak truth. I want my own life changed by these things, and I want my brother, brothers and sisters um, to be built up in this. I want these things to become more of a reality to us, and only you can do that, and we ask that you would. And um, give me clarity. Um, help us to um, just receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 15, 1-15. Early in the morning, the chief priests, with the elders and scribes, and the whole council, immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. The chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. In verse 12, answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. All right, so how I'm going to kind of approach it so you can kind of get a lay of the land as I walk through this, I'm going to now read each verse and kind of go into a little bit more detail, and just we'll work through each verse um, and continue on that way. So back in verse 1 again. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. In binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. So after Jesus was being accused and questioned before the chief priests, there was a gathering of religious leaders to likely come to an agreement on the plan for Jesus. What are we going to do with him? And as we will read in the following verses, it would be an agreement to have Jesus put to death. This type of punishment would need to be confirmed, likely, by the Romans. So therefore, Jesus is not killed there. He is brought before Pilate. And now in verse 2, Pilate questions him and says, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. So Pilate likely knew something about Jesus. He knew that at minimum people were talking about him as a king, 
And he wanted to hear from the man himself what he was going to say. So Jesus responds affirming that he is king of the Jews. It is as you say. Now this could pose a problem for Pilate. Pilate does not want a king to end up causing issues in the Roman Empire and him be at fault. So it kind of heightens things. And to my surprise, as we continue on, Pilate uses the title of King of the Jews for Jesus moving forward. So verse 3. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. So Jesus was just right before here, was accused before the chief priests, but now he's being accused before Pilate. They're doing it again, but before Pilate. And they do not do this calmly, but harshly. They don't seem to be seeking to be civil in these matters. They're stirred up pretty emotionally. They're not sober and calm. And Pilate hears the many charges and accusations that they're bringing harshly against him. And then he sees that Jesus is not responding to them. So Pilate encourages him by asking him a question. And even after Pilate asks Jesus about responding to his accusations, he's silent. Pilate is then amazed. He's amazed at this. We tend to get amazed at things that are uncommon. So someone who lives, you know, on the ocean is going to look out on the ocean every day, and it's pretty common, they're not going to be amazed. But someone who's maybe lived, who's never been to the ocean, and all of a sudden they go and step out and see the ocean, it's just something that's uncommon, they're going to be amazed by it. And so here, too, I think that uh, Pilate has probably had many circumstances where he has functioned as a judge and a mediator in these different disputes and people bringing charges against other people, and then likely what most people do is the person who's being accused will speak up and say something, whether they're guilty or innocent. They're going to try to get out of it. And so Jesus being silent before his accusers is just something probably very uncommon for Pilate to experience. And therefore, he's amazed. So how do you act if somebody, you know, at work accuses you of making a mistake and it wasn't even your fault? We are often quick to defend ourselves so we can see why Pilate would be amazed when Jesus is silent. And Jesus' silence is surprising. The chief priests charged Jesus with inciting people to join a rebellion. So in another gospel account, this is what they were saying. Um, So to join a rebellion against the Romans and the way that Jesus handles himself in this situation probably doesn't look like someone who's this big leader who's trying to bring some sort of revolt and rebellion against the authorities. He's just... Silent there. So now in verse 6, 
Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. So it was a common thing for Pilate or in other governing authorities in the past to release a prisoner during this time. Remember, this is a time of celebration of the Passover. It is likely that once a year, the Jews would be able to have somebody released. At the, and so the Jews would be able to request Pilate or an authority, we want this person released. And now, in verse 7, we're introduced to somebody we've never been introduced to before. He's mentioned here um, in the Gospels, and then Peter makes a reference later in, Act, in Acts. But the man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. We know very little about him, but Barabbas was a man who was a part of a group that was seeking to overthrow the authorities. And in the process of it, he murdered somebody. Later, he is caught and put in prison. Just like I mentioned in the Gospels, we see it mentioned his name in each of the accounts of this um, event. And then in Acts chapter 3, Peter um, references him, but he just says that he's a murderer. doesn't use his name. And we'll get more into Acts 3 later. So in verse 8, the crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. The crowd wanted someone released from prison, and they expected this to happen because it's happened in the past. So these things happen, we're expecting it. And they didn't wait for Pilate to say, this is now your time, come forward, let's do this. Who do you want to have released? They are seeking out Pilate. They are taking the initiative here. The crowd went to Pilate and began asking him about releasing somebody. And Pilate, in verse 9, answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And this question makes sense. He has Jesus in his custody who said he's the king of the Jews. And here comes a crowd of Jews seeking someone to be released. It makes sense that if a king is in the custody of the authorities and the people of the king want someone to be released, you'd think they'd want to choose the king. Pilate may also see this as a great opportunity to get Jesus released because we see in other gospel accounts that Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man and that he wanted to release Jesus. He actually wanted to release him. So what a great opportunity to kind of just have it play out with the Jews just desiring to have their king released. Verse 10, for he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Pilate believes that Jesus is innocent. And not only that, Pilate understands that the real reason that Jesus is handed over to him, why he's in his custody, is because of envy. The chief priests envy him, not because Jesus was guilty of crimes. So he wants him out. So Jesus is marked, Jesus' ministry, his person, is marked by grace and truth. Jesus' ministry was about speaking truth, bringing correction, bringing hope, healing the sick, feeding thousands, healing those oppressed by demons, and many other things. Jesus brought truth, hope, power, and true authority. 
The chief priests did not have truth, hope, power, or authority. But the chief priests believed that they did. But Jesus' ministry started to reveal to the chief priests that they really don't have any of those things. In fact, religious leaders of the day would devour widows' houses, put laws and rules on others that they themselves cannot keep. Jesus said of the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. There's heaping these things on these people. And Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs, blind guides, fools, serpents, and hypocrites. They were in a position of power and authority, but it was not hope. It was not based on truth. And they saw Jesus bringing true hope, and they hated it, and they envied him. They, wanted, they saw him taking that position that they were seeking to have. And in verse 11, But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. So now the chief priests are stepping in, okay, to play a role in the crowd of Jews. The chief priests probably looking back and you have the crowd of Jews and you have Pilate and Jesus and Barabbas and they're looking at that scenario and they don't, they probably don't feel very comfortable just kind of letting things play out. And so they're choosing to make a decision. They are going to step in and stir the crowd. They sensed a need to stir the crowd to get what they wanted. The chief priests, notice here, that they don't address Pilate directly, but rather get a large number of people stirred up on what they desire to have happen. They desire Barabbas released instead of the king of the Jews. So they're going for the numbers strategy versus just having a reasonable, articulate conversation with Pilate on the side. Verse 12, again, or answering again, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? Now Pilate is saying, okay, if you want me to release Barabbas, then what shall I do with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate is pushing back with this question. To say it another way, I think it kind of portrays a picture here of what Pilate's saying. It is as if Pilate is saying, if you want me to release this murderer named Barabbas, then what should I do with, this, with Jesus, the one you highly regard and respect, this one you call your king? When you start saying it that way, it's kind of interesting. But I think Pilate's doing two things here. I think he's kind of given a jab at the Jews because he knows that in general the Jews do not regard Jesus as their king. Later on, they wanted a sign above Jesus on the cross to say that he claimed to be king of the Jews instead of Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. They don't call him that. So I have uh, 
So at my office where I work, um, there's a lot of Clemson Tiger fans. There's some, there are very few Georgia Bulldogs, maybe one lady, and there's a couple Ohio State fans. And with all the kind of football stuff happening, in some of the meetings before it all starts, they kind of, kind of start poking fun of each other. And um, there's one lady who really loves the Georgia Bulldogs. She's actually traveling to Atlanta this weekend for the game. And imagine if I said to her, and she does not like the Clemson Tigers, I know you love those Clemson Tigers. So how many of those football games are you going to go to this year? She would look at me and just be like, what are you talking about? You know I hate them. You know I'm for the Georgia Bulldogs. And I kind of get a little sense that this is maybe a little bit of a kind of a jab similar to Pilate. He knows they don't like him. He's going to just say, you call him king of the Jews as if he's your king. I also think Pilate is trying to help them better understand the two people they are choosing from and seeking to help them understand the realities of what, what's at stake here. Like I said before, okay, we have Barabbas, a murderer, and we have Jesus who says he's your king. Trying to kind of make it a little bit clear, like if I, if, you know, one of my kids want to spend money on something, their own money on something, I, and I question the wisdom of it, in the end it's their money and they can spend it, to a degree on whatever they want, but I might challenge them once, and if I'm really like kind of wanting them to really understand you're going to make a decision here, you're going to spend, you know, five or ten dollars on something, I might ask him again in a different way, have you considered this? I think Pilate's trying to work that kind of argument here. He's trying to get them to understand what you're really dealing with here. He wants them to have as much clarity. He's going to do his job to bring clarity to the situation. But here again, Pilate is showing some level of respect by continuing to call Jesus by what Jesus claims to be, the king of the Jews. By doing this, he think he's trying to help them understand what they're doing and what they're choosing from. If anyone should be on Jesus' side here, it should be his people. A king expects loyalty from his people. So, back to the question in verse 12. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call king of the Jews? Verse 13. They shouted back, Crucify him. So the crowd's responding. They're answering the question of what they want to have happen to Jesus. They want Jesus to be crucified. They did not say, hey, we, we want Barabbas, but we want Jesus beaten, we want him mocked, we want him whipped, but we want his life spared. We want him to suffer pretty bad, but we don't want him to die. They didn't say that. Or, hey, release Barabbas, but just put Jesus in prison for like 50 years. That would be great. We don't have to be, he's not around. He's isolated. His ministry that we've been so envious of, it is gone. He's occupied in a prison. And they don't say this stuff 
They don't say crucify him calmly and soberly. Like the sense like this is, crucifying someone's a big deal. Um, They don't say that soberly. They say it shouting, crucify him. They desire to G- for Jesus to suffer greatly and die slowly. That's what they want. They understand what goes along with crucifixion. They just didn't hear about some, read about it or something, and someone told them, hey, that's a good way to have people die. They understood the details of what's involved, and they were passionately shouting, crucify him. Verse 14. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Pilate seems to be surprised with their first response, crowding, or shouting, Crucify him. He now, for the first time, is challenging the crowd more directly in defending Jesus. Why would you Jews want to crucify the king of the Jews? He wants to understand. He asks why. What is behind all of this desire for Jesus to be crucified? Pilate understands that you cannot just simply crucify someone because a crowd shouts it. If someone is crucified, they must have committed some sort of evil that requires this type of punishment. What evil has he done? Bring your argument. So the crowd does not ultimately seek a strategy of reasoning with Pilate. This did not work earlier. In other gospel accounts, you see them bring up other arguments. But Pilate still believes Jesus is innocent. The crowd likely, so the crowd likely just is going to seek a different strategy. And the strategy is, they just respond with the same thing here, crucify him. They say the same thing in this text, they say it louder. They shouted all the more, crucify him. In verse 15, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Pilate has raised some important questions and has challenged the desire of the crowd and the chief priests who are driving that. In the end, Pilate is controlled by his own desires to cons- to satisfy the crowd. And this makes sense because in John's account of this event, at one point, Pilate tells the Jews to take Jesus and crucify him himself. Themselves. In the end, Pilate does not care if Jesus is crucified. He's really, in the end, not looking out for him. He simply did not want to be the one responsible for it. Pilate is looking out for himself in the end. You think about that. I, just saying, I don't care. Like, you take him yourself and crucify him. I really don't care if this guy slowly dies and suffers greatly. Just, I don't want to be the one to do it. Go for it. 
So after pushing back some, Pilate desires to make the crowd happy, and he releases Barabbas, and Jesus is scourged or whipped and then sent to be crucified. Up until this point, um, it's really been just opposition and rejection, um, and now he's being whipped and sent away to be crucified. So now, I want to kind of summarize a little bit of this. I want to summarize the questions and answers from verses 15, or verses 1 to 15. So Pilate starts off in the beginning of our text, are you king of the Jews? Jesus basically says yes. The chief priests accuse Jesus harshly. And Pilate says, do you have no answer to their charges? And Jesus doesn't say anything. He's silent. Pilate then says, should I release the king of the Jews? And the crowd says, release Barabbas. And then Pilate says, what should I do with the one you call king of the Jews? The crowd says, crucify him. Why, what evil has he done? Crucify him. That's kind of the gist of what's going on here. So there are five different individuals or groups in here, in this event, and I want to kind of bring out some observations about each of them. Okay, so Pilate I want to start off with is he recognizes that Jesus is not guilty. He pushes back some on the crowd, on the crowd's desire for Jesus to be crucified. The Jews push back, and Pilate desires ultimately to satisfy the crowd, and Pilate releases Barabbas and sends Jesus to be crucified. One thing that should have made it easier for Pilate to not desire to satisfy the crowd, is that he also had Herod's support. In the other gospel account, you have Herod's support that Jesus didn't do anything worthy of death. He doesn't stand alone thinking that Jesus is, the only, is Jesus is innocent. He has another person in authority, Herod, who, see, who came to the same conclusion. Jesus is innocent. So that makes it a little easier, right? So, What makes Pilate's desire to satisfy the crowd worse is that, remember, in another gospel account, it says that his wife had a supernatural experience in a dream where Jesus caused her to suffer greatly during this dream. His wife ended up telling him to have nothing to do with this righteous man. Okay, so some supernatural stuff is happening that would kind of encourage him to just not give in to the crowd. You know, my wife had a supernatural experience in this dream, and she told me not to do this. So he's got his wife's support, he's got Herod's support to not give in, but his desire to satisfy the crowd is just far greater than those arguments and the support that he has in his family and with other authorities. In John's account, it also includes that Pilate does not want to look like he is opposing Caesar. You know, he's in a position of authority, the higher-ups. You know, the Jews start saying, hey, if 
if you're for Jesus and you release him, you're opposed to Caesar. So it's like, oh man, his, his career is kind of at stake here, his position of authority. Okay, I guess, okay, I guess we'll just give in to what you want. Imagine if you were on trial and you were innocent and the only reason the judge sent you away and put you to death was because a crowd of people yelling at the judge and saying, hey, your job's going to be on the line. You know? Your career, it's over if you let this, let this guy go. And the judge ends up just having a desire. The only reason you're put to death is because the, the judge desires to make the crowd happy. The chief priests... Let's look at them. So they're envious and accuse Jesus harshly and stir the crowds up against Jesus so that Barabbas will be released and Jesus crucified. And they are the driving force here. They're the ones stirring it up. They didn't probably have much faith in the crowd, but saw their influence over the crowd as an opportunity to get what they wanted. Thirdly, the crowd of Jews... They are convinced by the stirring up of the chief priests. So they see the chief priests. Their desire really is to kind of go along with them. There's a lot of desire language in here. If you can't tell, I'm using that word a lot, and that'll come into play more later. A lot of desire happening. So their desire is to follow in the footsteps and fall in line with the chief priests. And they're aggressive against Jesus and demand him to be crucified. So, interesting that one of the charges that the Jews bring up in Luke 23 of this account is that Jesus was inciting the people to rebellion. Right? That's one of the arguments they say. He, he's doing that. You need to crucify him. That was their accusation against him. But at the same time, they are calling for the release of a man who actually attempted a rebellion, failed, and in the process murdered somebody. And in John's account, we see that in the end, they say, the Jews, we have no king but Caesar. Barabbas, he's silent. If you were in a similar position as Barabbas, would you be silent? Or would you start talking? So imagine you're standing there and you have a crowd of people and you know that somebody can get released. And it's Jesus and you're there. And we assume that Barabbas is not in line with wanting Jesus to be released. That he's looking out for himself. I think he desires to walk free even if it means Jesus being put to death. If he starts talking, I'm thinking that things could go worse for him rather than better. He's already probably been on trial, already stated his case. He's probably in a position where his silence is probably going to serve him well. Just don't open your mouth. You have the potential to get out. That's probably what's happening. And so I don't think Barabbas' silence is surprising. One interesting thing here is that Barabbas being released is a picture of salvation. 
Someone who is guilty is being released from the punishment of their crimes, and Jesus is being put to death by being crucified. We who have committed crimes far worse than murder find freedom from the punishments of our crimes by Jesus being put to death and sent away to be put to death and crucified. Lastly, Jesus. When questioned if he is the king of the Jews, he responds affirming that he is the king of the Jews, but the rest of the time in the text, Jesus is silent. And Jesus' silence is a fulfillment of the scriptures. It's a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7, and I'll read that. He was opposed, or sorry, he was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb, like a sheep, he's silent. And that is fulfillment of scriptures. There's a lot more you could say there. But, so now in regards to just this passage in general, we'll talk a little bit about summaries. Pilate has desires in this situation. The chief priests have desires. Barabbas has desires, and the crowd has desires. These people are not robots. And then Jesus has desires here as well. To do his Father's will. Not my will, but your will be done. What we see is how Pilate and the Jews are given multiple opportunities to change their minds. But, their desire, but they desire other things. Their desires overcome all the different opportunities and the challenges and the supernatural experiences that are happening. The Jews and the chief priests desire Jesus to be crucified, even after three chances that Pilate gives them to change their mind. As he's questioning them further and further to challenge their desires. And Pilate desires to satisfy the crowd even after a supernatural warning from his wife. These desires in this entire text are just very um, common and overwhelming. We come away from these passages and just get a sense that nobody wants or nobody desires to align themselves with Jesus. What is more heartbreaking is that Peter... The zealous one, earlier, is given three chances to testify that he is a follower of Jesus, and each time he denies Jesus to the point of saying, I don't even know him. And the other disciples fall away and flee. Jesus' closest friends abandon him. They reject him. Jesus stands alone in silence as Peter denies him. The chief priests accuse him. The crowds shall crucify him. And Pilate releases Barabbas and sends Jesus off to be beaten and crucified. You have a lot of talk, a lot of action from everybody 
except Jesus, really. Barabbas is silent, but that's for his own gain. Everyone seems to desire to protect their own lives, but Jesus is the only one willing to lay down his own life. All men seem to guard their lives, but Jesus gives his. It's his plan to give it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 23, Peter sees this event. He's looking at this, and he's speaking to Jews, and let's just read it. Verse 22 of Acts 2. Men of Israel, he's speaking to the Jews, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. See how in one sentence, Peter uses the phrase predetermined plan of God And in the same sentence, blames the Jews for putting him to death. Their desires for him to be put to death led to him being put to death. God's sovereignty is present, and man's sinful desires and responsibility are also present in our text this morning. And Peter picks up on that and is now proclaiming it to Israel. It is through the sovereign plan and the desire of God and the sinful desires of men that our eternal redemption has been secured. So we have talked a lot about man's sinful desires throughout this in rejecting and denying Jesus. But what about Jesus' desires in all of this? Like I said earlier, he wanted to do the will of the Father. And Jesus is often silent throughout, our, throughout this entire, um, from his betrayal to his death. But there are a few times later on in Mark that Jesus is hanging on a cross, that he speaks. Lots of silence, and then he speaks. And those times when he speaks... They help, give us to under, help us understand what his desires are. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the other thing he said, the thief on the cross next to Jesus said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus was focused on the forgiveness of sinners and not just forgiveness, but on bringing sinners to be with him. We see, he says, to be with me in paradise. He desires to bring many sons to glory. So, 
So Chris has been in 1 Peter, and I think I'm understanding it correctly, but I believe he has said one of the key items, verses that he believed was um, kind of the main point of Peter was 1 Peter 4, um, verse 1, the first part of verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. So we're looking at the sufferings of Christ this morning. And I want to kind of tie it back into that. As he continues to go through 1 Peter, I want this to kind of help remind us to have things in our mind as we go through that, or as yeah, he works through First Peter. So Jesus suffered the wrath of God, right? And therefore, Jesus, or therefore Christians will not suffer the wrath of God. However, very few Christians are put to death. Some Christians are beaten, but all Christians experience rejection on some level. And that's what our text really has involved in this morning. Verse 1 to 15, just rejection. Yeah, he was whipped some in, in our text. But really, the, the big thing was rejection. And we might not be able to, we, we won't ever be able to identify with Jesus in his, um, in his suffering for our sins. And some people experience different degrees of actual physical sufferings and attacks, but all of us as believers, to one degree or another, are going to experience rejection. This might happen from unbelieving coworkers, or maybe you're out doing outreach and sharing the gospel with somebody that you don't even know at random, and they reject you. Or maybe it's friends, unbelieving friends who reject you. Or unbelieving family members. Maybe it's a spouse, children. Maybe it's your parents or your siblings. Things that can hurt pretty significantly to be rejected by. It's not easy. I'm sure when Jesus was being rejected by his own people, that's, that's considered suffering. It's not considered just fulfilling God's plan. It was painful to be rejected by those whom he's poured out his life and shared life with, his disciples. My desire for myself and all of us is that we would think on the rejection that Jesus experienced here in this text, that this would renew our minds in our perspective as we experience our own rejections in this world because of being a follower of Jesus. That being reminded of Jesus' rejection will help us arm ourselves with the same purpose. To not be surprised when it happens, but to be expecting it and to keep proper perspective. Understanding when Jesus is being rejected It was not based on reason, but desire and hate. In our rejection, if for righteousness' sake, 
will not be based on reason, but based on desire and a hate for righteousness and truth. And God was sovereign over Jesus' rejection. And so God is also sovereign over our rejections in this world and has a purpose in them. So hopefully this can be of encouragement as we continue to work through 1 Peter with Chris and we can have these things in our minds. We can be be renewed with a perspective as we look at Jesus and his example and how he endured rejection from the authorities, from friends, his disciples, um, greatly in Judas and then in the disciples, as well as um, his own people. So let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We pray that you would just keep these things in our minds. You'd help us to um, understand rejection in this world. Help us to have a proper perspective when family members, friends, coworkers, we just don't fit in because they know we're Christians. We've maybe talked to them. They don't understand. Um, help us to keep our, um, our words and our actions righteous, that we would not suffer for wrongdoing. We would not be rejected because of other things except righteousness' sake. And I pray that you just help us to um, just keep your son in view and what he's done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.